I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. This week, we are discussing The Incredibles, the 2004 Pixar movie, the Pixar debut of Brad Bird. Brad and Bird. also asking the question, what if superheroes had feelings? Yes, the Pixar formula of what if Blank had feelings. A uh, question so good, we built the entire MC who around it. Yeah, yeah. But this is this is one year before the MCU started. This is 2004. And several years before Disney got a hold of it, so... Yeah, Disney was still in that we can't get a good superhero franchise, so we're going to try to make a few. We talked about the Rocketeer. We got the Incredibles. I mean, they would do Sky High about a year after this. So they were still finding their their, their superhero ways, and then they decided, we're just going to buy Marvel. Yeah, which turned out to be an excellent idea. Good for them. Yeah. So, uh, Brad Bird, we have talked about Brad Bird before because he directed Ratatouille, but this is the first uh, film he did for Pixar, and this is the first film he did after The Iron Giant. So, after The Iron Giant came out, he pitched this movie idea uh, to Warner Brothers, and because, uh, as much as The Iron Giant is considered an all-time classic now... It was not a financial success when it came out. So Warner was like, yeah, no, no, thank you. I mean, he had done work for Disney before, but this was his first directorial, you know. Um, I mean, we probably mentioned it when we talked about Ratatouille. That's been a minute. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he had worked on... Uh, Fox and the Hound, and Black Cauldron, and Brave Little Toaster as an animator. But yeah, he had he had made his name with Iron Giant, and he had also done a, some TV work, I, I think, as well. Um, he had gone off and done, um, I think it was King of the Hill for a while, mm. and he might have worked on Simpsons, I think. So, um, he had gone done some television animation and stuff, and then came back and did the the Iron Giant. And then he's back at Disney, and specifically Pixar, for Incredibles, the, a movie that that Brad Bird had wanted to do for a very very long time going back to like the early 90s he had sketched this idea of a superhero family and just he wanted to do his love letter to the comic books he grew up reading it truly is a love letter to like the golden and silver age of comics especially that that beginning part is definitely full-on golden age 1940s style yeah, 
And then the later stuff definitely evolves into a lot of 60s and ironically a lot of 60s Marvel kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, You really get that feel of what they were doing at that time. Uh, Mixed with a very healthy dose of Bond and a little bit of Batman. You get some of that Adam West kind of Batman feel to it as well. All it was missing was the sound effects on screen. Yeah, the the visual, you know, sound effects kind of title cards are not there, but the the way they draw the the cars and some of the retro futuristic technology. I mean, Mr. Incredible's car at the beginning of the movie is very much Bond-esque, especially the car he has at the uh in the middle of the movie. Yeah, and they've said that Edna Mode is based a lot on Q from James Bond. I I can see it. That bit where she's she's taking them, she's taking Elastigirl through the way that the suits work and giving that little presentation is very much modeled on when Q takes Bond through whatever new gadget he has for this particular movie. Now see here, 007, this suit stretches as far as you can. Yeah, it it would it's it's that scene just done for comedic well more comedic effect because that's always a comedic part in a Bond film. Mm-hmm. But um it it is very, very funny. Um but yeah the the stylized way that they do the movie is immediately you can see all those influences if you've ever read anything from that era or seen any of those particular influences so um and as a kid that's kind of what i was into as well Mm. was a lot of the older even though that wasn't my time period you know, that's what he read as a as a kid because that was contemporary for him. But I was always kind of just reading older stuff because it was what was around uh, reading and watching older stuff. And so that was always kind of my influences as well <laughs> growing up. And so I was immediately like, oh, yeah, you know, this this was kind of cool. So that was why I liked The Incredibles when it first came out was because I was like, oh, yeah, this this stuff kind of reminds me of the stuff I would watch when I was a kid. Mm. Also, a bit of a first this is the first Disney movie to be worked on by Michael Giacchino, who did the music for this movie. Yeah, we've yeah. talked about Michael Giacchino a lot because, you know, he's done everything now. He's mm. one of the main composers for Disney and one of the main composers for Marvel and a lot of the Pixar movies now and recently made his uh yeah recently made his directorial debut with Werewolf by Night last year yeah which was very cute and good and go watch it so they will make more things like that Mm -hmm. um but 
yeah, this was his first thing he had. This was his first like movie, I think, because he had mostly done TV shows up until this point. Um, he I know he had done Alias because I think that's where Brad Bird found him. And I don't remember if if Lost had already aired yet, but probably that was the other yeah. major series he had worked on. I can't remember the the timeline I think Lost, already. Giving how um, when Pixar movies come out, I would assume Lost would have come after this movie. Yeah, um, but uh, the um, but this was his his first big feature film that he had worked on. He was mostly working on television, I think. Apparently, Brad Bird wanted to get John Barry, who was the um, guy who did a lot of the early Bond movies. So, if you're familiar with early Bond in the 60s, um, then you will be familiar with that kind of style. And Barry did not want to go back to that kind of work because he had a different sound now, you know, that he was working on. He didn't want to go back and repeat his old work. So Brad Bird found Michael Cicchino. So <laughs> um, apparently through aliases is what I read. Mm. But uh, it worked out because, man, what a genius <laughs> Michael Giacchino is, which we have talked about before. Mm-hmm. And that that sound, that ba da ba ba da, very very sixties sounding, very c- kind of feels like something out of the sixties Batman in a way. Yeah, and and those little hints of Bond, which is also part of the film. Because you've got that sort of government organization that superheroes were apparently working for and, you know, are still maybe working for. So. Also, timeline-wise, this was really at the height of the... We've talked about it before, the issues between Pixar and Disney. Pixar and Disney behind the scenes were not really getting along. The film contract was coming up. I believe the movie that came after this, Cars, was supposed to be the final film in the original contract between Pixar and Disney. And Pixar was going to move away from Disney and go to another studio. This is why if if you go to the original posters for The Incredibles and Cars... It will say a Disney production of a Pixar film. As Disney and Pixar were starting to separate, of course, Disney would flat out buy Pixar. But at this point, as this movie is being released, the two sides were just still button heads. And we've talked about the issues between Disney and Pixar in the past, especially in our Toy Story 2 episode. If you want to go yeah. back and, 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 and listen to that. But for when this was coming out, like, we didn't know how much longer the two studios would be affiliated. 
yeah, we thought after cars, this this is over. This this the, that, that was then that was news for a while, like entertainment news. was like Disney and Pixar's parting ways, and Disney was already working on their replacements for Pixar Circle Seven, and you know you know thankfully or unthankfully, depending on how you want to and you want to look at this purchase. Uh, Disney was able to, to keep Pixar around, and they're still working together. We just saw the trailer for the new Pixar film, Elemental. That just, as this episode is being recorded, that trailer just released. Yeah. What so, if various elements had feelings? It, it works. What if water and fire had feelings <laughs> and fell in love? <laughs> yeah. Um... I mean, it looks cute. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not knocking it, but it it looks cute. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I'm I'm such a superhero person. This was never gonna. This was not a thing I was ever gonna turn my nose up at. It's like, do you want to see Pixar do a movie about superheroes? Like, duh, of course I do. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, even before Marvel was doing the MCU, we'd still had, you know, movies like Blade and the X-Men movies and a certain other Marvel movie we'll be talking about in a bit that yeah. was that was getting people in the theaters. Um, but well, and this came out right at the point where we were still a bit starved for superhero content. People are talking about superhero burnout right now, and I hate every single one of those people. If you ever come at me with superhero burnout, I loathe you, and I want you to know that. I, I just, I'm just gonna put it out there. But also, it was an era where superhero movies were kind of afraid to be comic book movies. Oh yeah, I hate I hate that even more. the 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 things The things I dislike the most are when you go. It's a blank movie for people who hate blank movies. If you tell me that, I'm immediately gonna dislike your your pitch. You know? Mm. Oh, it's a horror movie for people who hate horror movies. It's a sci-fi movie for people who hate sci-fi movies. It's a whatever, you know. No. Screw you. Just make a movie for people who like those kind of movies. You're gonna be better off. Mm-hmm. But like because we said, you know, it's, the it's like if you if you just make a really good movie for that's just a good representation of whatever you're trying to do, then not only will the people who like those type of movies like that movie, but people who go, you know, I was never really into sci-fi movies, but that's just a really good movie. Because that's how people get into things. I've seen it so often as a teacher 
when when you give somebody a, a book to read or a poem or whatever, and they go, you know, I'm not really into poetry, but this poem was just really good. There's a lot I liked about it. And you go, yeah, because it's just a really good poem. And you know the author didn't sit down and go, like, I'm going to write a poem for people who hate poems. Like, no, they just went, I'm going to write the best poem I can. And because it's really good, people go, you know, I always thought poetry sucked, but this is a really good poem. Mm. Because people are just going to like things that are good. And it doesn't really matter the genre that much. I mean, there's always going to be some people who like, you know, okay, if you can't stand a lot of like gory imagery, there are just certain things you can't watch or something, you know. But there's people just tend to, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Westerns, but there are some Western movies I really like because they're just really good movies. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm not a huge romance fan, but there are some romance movies that I really like because they're really good movies. And that's what got me mad about all the superhero movies that were like, you know, well, we're trying to be comic book movies for people who wouldn't normally go see a comic book movie. And I'm like, why don't you just make a really good comic book movie and then people will go see that. And that's what happened with the MCU. And also, it's kind of what happened with stuff like The Incredibles and stuff. You know, I was like, most of the people who went and saw this didn't, like, they they never read a comic book, probably. But they were like, hey, this is kind of a cute movie. Let's, it, it feels let's go watch like, it. Yeah. Yeah. It has that right feeling of, you know, like I said, this came from a place of a love of comic books. I mean, Brad Bird even put Superman references in Iron Giant. So it's like Brad Bird's a comic book nerd. So he's going to make make the best comic book movie he can. But also watching this film, you can see all the references if you like that stuff. But it also doesn't throw it in your face enough that it makes you feel like you missed something if you don't watch or read that thing. Yeah, a lot of the other superheroes in the movie that we only see on screen for a fraction of a second are references to other superheroes. But you don't have to know anything about what they're referencing to understand what they're trying to tell you. Yeah. And... You know, there's a lot of little inside jokes that they will make you laugh if you know the context and the reference. But if you're a normal viewer who doesn't get the inside joke, you never once feel like you've missed anything. There are some there are some films that you watch that. It is so into meta references that you watch it and it's constantly winking to the camera at you of like, hey, did you get that? Did you get that? Do you see what we did there? And if you don't see what they did there, you just feel like 
you're missing half a movie. Yeah. And you're like, I'm sure this is funny to somebody or interesting to somebody, but I'm not that somebody. Like, I'll throw it out there. One of my favorite references to the comics, to comic books in general, is towards the end of the movie where Mr. Incredible picks up Elastigirl and does the trademark Marvel move, the fastball special. Yeah, but you don't have to know anything about the fastball special to understand that. So yeah, so for those who don't know the, the reference, I'll explain it. I know I'm ruining the joke. Uh, in the comics, eight, the fastball special is a trademark move, usually done by uh, Colossus and Wolverine, where Colossus will put will pick Wolverine up on his shoulder and throw him towards their enemy. He, you know, he's there, claws out, slices through like a sentinel or something. But in this movie, Mister Incredible picks up Elastigirl and throws her to get Jack Jack. And it's a great reference. But also, it makes perfect sense in the in the film because you got to throw something at the bad guy, but you can't hurt the baby. So you throw the mom because she's stretchy and soft and also she'll be conscious enough not to hurt the baby. Mm. Ha ha. Perfect, you know, thing. But also it's. It's the reference of one superhero throwing the, the other superhero at the, you know. Yeah. And it's a cool little reference, but it never once winks at you like, hey, remember when Colossus and Wolverine did this? Are you guys getting the joke? Are you guys seeing that? You know? Yeah. And it took me like several times watching the movie after it first came out before I was like, oh my goodness, that's what they're referencing. <laughs> I'm embarrassed at how many how many times I saw this movie before it that it hit me that that was the reference. Also, let's talk about the technological aspects of this for a moment because this is the first Pixar movie to primarily feature humans. Toy Story yeah. was just toys. We had humans but they weren't they were not the main focus. Bugs Life Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, they were the main focus of those movies were not human characters. Toys, bugs, monsters, fish. This is the first Pixar movie to primarily focus on human characters. So you've, you know, you got to animate human movement. You have to animate hair. Faces that aren't really horrifically creepy we talked about that when we talked about the original toy story yeah oh my goodness go go back and watch the original toy story those faces are terrifying mm. that is some nightmare fuel does not hold up <laughs> does not hold up the yeah, the interesting thing is is that you always think that certain things in CGI are going to be really difficult, and then you find out it's something that you didn't think was going to be that difficult is actually the nightmare thing they had to deal with. And the thing that always trips me out about what was so incredibly difficult about The Incredibles was Violet's hair was apparently the most difficult thing in the film. And well, it was the thing that 
was last uh, last finished. Not that they waited longest to animate, but it was the thing that took them longest to finish. Well, because it took cover, so long to get yeah, her, her right. Her hair covers her face for most of the movie. So you have to find a way to animate that hair while it's not going through her head. Well, that too. But also, if you notice, like, every other human that they had ever animated, including in this film, has fairly static hair as far as a hairdo. Mm -hmm. It's kind of helmet-shaped, like Lego-shaped. Or... Like, Syndrome's hair is kind of a stand-up, sculpted shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and Frozone's hair is very sculpted. And Mr. Incredible and Dash Dash both have their hair slicked down. And Elastigirl has hers um, kind of parted back and shaped very close to her head. Edna Mode has that bob that does very close to her head and everything. So even, like, female characters have bobs or very close-cut hair or, like, maybe a short ponytail or something that sticks very close to the head so that when the head moves, the hair follows the head. And Violet was, and and if you look back all the way back through Toy Story, every time you see a character, it's either a masculine character with a very short cropped haircut that they can just kind of color in the hair and not really have to individually animate hair strands, or it's a feminine character with some kind of bob or some kind of close cut hairdo like that, that will move with the head. But Violet was meant to have this kind of emo goth girl flowing hairstyle. And it turns out that even though they had done a lot of work on monsters, Inc with fur textures, Once again, that fur kind of moved with the body. And getting hair that would go against the body. So like when wind was blowing or when they jumped into the water. When you have long hair, it moves kind of against where your body is going. So you go right and it tends to go left. Mm. And that was the difficult thing to animate is that the hair would kind of move opposite of the rest of the body. And also, yeah, you get that thing. If you play a lot of video games, you know this. If you have a character with long hair, it tends to clip through the head. Um, And so they had to make sure it wouldn't do that either because it covered her face for most of the movie. But that getting it to flow and move in a naturalistic way was apparently the biggest nightmare on this film. And so if you see a lot of early stages of the film, so deleted scenes and stuff like that, and any documentary about the making of the film where they show early footage 
at any point along the the render before the final film is finished, Violet's hair is always the messed up thing. And it does absolutely wild stuff. <laughs> In fact, it's really funny to go watch if you if you can look up any documentary behind the scenes stuff with animators talking about like you know, the Incredibles along the process, and it shows any making of footage where they show early stages animation. Her hair is the single funniest thing in the film because it's it's just doing, like, weird Bethesda physics nonsense. (laughs) 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 But yeah, and they also had to up their water effects, too, because this was, you know, before... Finding Nemo, where they really upped their water effects. But they had that whole scene of, you know, them falling into the ocean and and their hair uh, getting swimming changed. underwater yeah. and, you know. The hair changing after getting out of the water and all that. Yeah, characters had to, to go from dry to wet to dry again. And, you know, how does water flow off of human bodies and you know so that was that was another thing that they had to do because it was on the you know a lot of it was on this tropical island surrounded by ocean so they were like well great we have to and then you have all those scenes of uh frozone and you know his bits with the ice and you know using the water and uh, dash running over water and you know yeah so there was there was a lot of technological upgrades that pixar had to come up with that were the building blocks for cgi even now mm. so really really impressive stuff for for this film you mentioned that scene, and I want to kind of go. I want to discuss that scene a little bit more because, okay, Holly Hunter, who plays Elastigirl in the movie, um, she had there's like two different versions of the scene. There's the deleted scene version and the version from the film. The version from the film, Holly Hunter is talking all of this airplane jargon, of, you know, talking on the radio to the island. Trying to get trying to get landing permission and all that. And she had the script and she wanted to know what she was saying. Like, what do these words mean? Because I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about. So she actually learned all of the flight terminology, what it meant, what it does. So when she says it in the movie, it sounds like she's some sort that she has some experience with being a pilot. And I have to give credit to Holly Hunter, Academy Award winning actress Holly Hunter, to have the commitment to do that. I don't know many act- actors, male or female, that would have that level of commitment and wouldn't just say, all right, I just give me the script, I'll just say whatever. Yeah, I mean, she she is pretty committed and the interesting thing about it is that this was her first voice acting role so she had never done um animation before this but 
they had asked her about doing it and she was like, okay, you know, seems really interesting as a, a way to stretch myself. And, uh, the, the, the best, the best thing, the best story I've heard about the casting on this film was that when they got to casting Frozone, they were like, well, he's supposed to be the coolest guy in the world. Who's the coolest guy in the world? And everybody went Samuel L. Jackson. They were like, all right, let's call Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> years, years before he was in the MCU. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, he was already the coolest guy in the world. So I mean, he, 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 uh, considering when they would have recorded the lines for this movie, he would have probably already done that Shaft remake. So I mean, yeah, he, and he was already yeah, he was already Sam Jackson. He was known to be the coolest, you know, Pulp Fiction yeah. and all that. Yeah, all that had, had just come out. I mean, you know, you. I don't I don't know exactly what the first thing I ever saw him in was, but I mean all, already to to me once you just see him hanging out on an island full of dinosaurs going hold on to your butts, you're like that's the coolest guy in the room right there. <laughs> You know, yeah, but I I just love the fact that he played a superhero uh, right before he would play Nick Fury in the MCU. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, to get back to that to that flight scene because there's another version. There's the you, it's online. You can look it up. So when we when 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 Elastigirl, you know, she we see her. She calls her. Her guy at the at the at the air at the airport to get her a jet. Apparently, the original plan was to have that pilot fly them to the island, and he was going to go do all the air air uh, pilot jargon. And when they got hit by the missile and the plane explodes, he was supposed to die. It was supposed to give emphasis to the audience and to. Uh, Dash and Violet that yes, you could die on this mission. And they wanted a character to die in this movie. The problem is, we would have only known this character for five minutes, so we would have no reason to care that he died. Like I said, the original, as it was originally made scene, the deleted scene is out there. You can find what the scene was supposed to be. So they eventually changed it to have uh, Elastigirl be a pilot and do all that stuff. To have that scene have a little bit more emotional weight. While I agree with the idea of having a character die in the movie to show that being a superhero isn't uh, all fun and games. Having a character that we've only known five seconds die in this big climactic scene probably wouldn't have been the best way to do it. I mean, to me, the the real solution would have been for them to have maybe introduced the character a little bit longer 
Like maybe he was over for dinner in the earlier scene when they talk about Dash getting in trouble at school. Yeah. And or even, or even maybe him he's in the, the third guy in the car with Frozone and Mr. Incredible. Or introduce him in the flashback. Or introduce him in the flashback. But, you know, the thing is, the idea is if you're going to put it forward to the kids that they can die. You know? Mm-hmm. And they didn't really understand that their parents were super heroes on that level. Like, they didn't, like, they know they're super. They know they have powers. But they were born after the the superhero band passed. So, they don't remember that life. They don't remember that time. So, if you just have him as that friend of their parents who always hangs around... And then suddenly he's gone. Well, that's a more emotional scene. And it doesn't take much for him to just be the guy that's there in the background, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's a different way of doing it, but... You know, they they already talk about death in the film. You know, we we do see that Syndrome has killed off other superheroes, and you know, you even have that w- wonderful scene where Mister Incredible has to hide behind the corpse of another superhero just to save his own life. Yeah, and I honestly thought that was a big step for a Pixar movie, you know? And this is a character, Gazer Beam, that we've only seen mentioned once earlier in the film in a newspaper and his civilian identity being a a superhuman rights activist. Which, again, perfect for a superhero to be the secret identity being a superhero rights activist. It's like you know, another reference, Professor X, no one knows he's a mutant, but he's a mutant rights activist. Well, I think everybody kind of figured he was probably a superhero. They just didn't know which one. Mm. Because this is, okay, I mean, I'm not the first person to bring this up. And Brad Bird, I think, has said he wasn't really familiar with it. But... This is basically Watchmen for Kids. Kinda, yeah. You know, because, I mean, that's the the point of Watchmen. In the world of Watchmen, of course, there's only one super hero. You know, Dr. Manhattan is the only one that actually has superpowers in, in that original book. The rest of them are just Batman-like vigilantes. You know, they're rich people or they're, you know, whoever that just put on a suit and go out and punch bad guys. But, you know, the government decides to outlaw costumed crime fighting. And so everybody has to to go into hiding. But this one, in a similar way... 
because of liability lawsuits, you know, they decide to ban superheroes, except the superheroes in this world are actually super, most of them. Syndrome says not everybody has superpowers. Some of them just have gadgets. But we understand that most of them seem to have superpowers. Mm-hmm. And the government, after all the liability suits from, you know, collateral damage and things like that, they decide to tell people like even if you have powers keep it to yourself live on the down low go into witness protection kind of thing i mean they would touch upon disney themselves would touch upon it again with uh the whole superhero superhero registration act and civil war yeah i mean this is this is an old idea in comics but you know they're, they're not really treading new ground here but the one that did it you know, as their primary plot device was the Watchmen. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what everybody, you know, compares it to. I do like how the the thing that starts the fall of superheroes is a guy committing suicide, getting saved, and then suing the guy that saved him for, you know, for... For For ruining his his death, yeah. Which... Which again, a really dark tone for Pixar and for and Disney, Disney. The fact that this is a, this is still Disney releasing this movie. Yeah, you know, we, the Disney logo, and I love that. Uh, you know, sidebar on the Disney Plus version of this film that they kept the old CG Toy Story one. Uh, Disney. Yeah, it was Castle. so good to see that again. Yeah, love they did it. Not re- love it. They did not replace it with the modern Disney Castle look. I wonder why, but I, I'm glad it's 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 the the old the old CG castle still in in there. Yeah, preserve old media. Come on. Yeah. Um, but the the thing is though is that when they when they do this, you know, they have this this whole you know, domino effect. Opens the floodgates. Yeah, of people going like, oh, wait, we can actually, like, file lawsuits against superheroes? Cool. You know, and then uh, they do, but um, the the thing is, is that when you go into, like, Watchmen for little kids, it becomes a bit weird because Watchmen was Alan Moore trying to say like hey what are we saying as a society when we look up to this idea of like the the great man kind of idea And the idea of, like, we have to sit around and wait for a couple of people to save us. Or that there has to be a special group of people to shape society and save society, you know? And what what do we do when we give those people too much power? 
Mm-hmm. And is that really a good thing? And are the idea of superheroes even a good thing? Like to write stories about them and stuff. I mean, it it was a real big kind of philosophical question that he was dealing with. One that um, the movie completely threw out the window. Yeah, I mean, say what you want. Visually, it was beautiful, but, you know, philosophically, Zack Snyder, not the person to deal with uh, that subject matter. Oh, we're um, going to get the Snyder bros on us for that one. I, I don't care. Go away. Um, and by a similar token... I'm not sure, given Brad Bird's body of work, that he's he's the guy that does that, too, because it kind of deals with the same premise. And then the answer to the question is, I don't care to answer the question. Superheroes are cool. That's Tyranny must have quite the answer to the question is superheroes are cool. Yeah, and... I'm not saying that like a kids movie is really the necessarily the place to answer that question. Although Pixar movies deal with massive things and this movie, while I like it is kind of the movie that deals with just like rule of cool rather than we want to deal with any kind of interesting thought. Which is kind of really sad because it brings up interesting questions and then it goes, now let's fight a robot. (laughs) I mean, rule of cool kind of rules the MCU as well. But the thing is, is that MCU attempts to, I think that the people writing the MCU really attempt to do this the the creatives on the ground really want to answer those questions and then there is some interference at certain points along the way that go yeah can we tweak this here and there to make it a little more toyetic <laughs> yeah okay to you know certain markets or certain you know advertisers or you know because there are definitely points in certain projects where you can see that they are absolutely on a roll and then there is some kind of like hard u-turn that doesn't make a lot of sense and you go like there is a completely different writer right here (laughs) and we will definitely talk about some of those things when we get to some of those projects so you can definitely see that like creatives had one idea and you know but that's that's not the case with the the Incredibles is it definitely seems to be a cohesive structure that had the like idea of like well this is a neat plot and it never stopped to interrogate what its plot could say you know and i think that's a shame because i think there's so much here that could be done and people have tried to to get around to like 
well, what is the incredible saying with its plot? And there's so many people who have tried to do like essays on this and stuff. And it comes out all across the spectrum. And I think that's because it's not really saying anything other than I like superheroes. Superheroes are really cool. Look at their costumes, look at their powers. It's neat. I mean, the closest thing to any kind of moral, if you want to call that, is Mr. Incredible learning how to fight with a team. Because that's kind of the whole thing throughout the course of the movie is Mr. Incredible, he works alone. He's he but he's better off alone. Yes, he knows other superheroes. But he doesn't really work with them. That that's the whole thing with Buddy. Buddy wants to be his sidekick. He makes gadgets. He knows everything about Mr. Incredible, but Mr. Incredible wants to work alone. When he gets the call to put on the suit again and fight the robot, he's doing it alone. He doesn't tell his wife, he doesn't tell his kids that he's gonna go out and do this stuff. Even at the end of the movie, he says, I have to do this alone. I cannot lose you again. And then he has to learn to fight alongside. Yes, it's his family, but he le- he needs to learn how to work alongside a team and be a team player. Even clashing, yeah. you know, through earlier in the movie, clashing, clashing heads with his wife over allowing Dash to go into sports. Like, let him go into sports. He's good. He'd be good. But, you know. And, uh, you know, and, uh, Helen throwing it back at Bob. This isn't about you. This isn't what you want. This isn't about what you want. This isn't about your ego. We're, you know, we're supposed to work together here. And that is that is a good moral. And one that I support because honestly, throughout most of the movie, Mr. Incredible is kind of the worst. I mean, especially look at the way he acts in that first scene. He is on his way to his wedding. And at one point, even Elastigirl shows up to help him with the fight. To get it done so he can get to the wedding. Yeah, just to to hurry up and finish this up. Because she's like, you know, hey, we're getting married. You know, which you find out after the fact, you know. Mm-hmm. But you you understand in the, the afterthought or on the second rewatch that that's why she's there. She's like, you know, hey, I don't mind you going out and taking out a bad guy. I like that too. But we, we do have another important place to be. The thing is, is that he wants to... F- fight her over who got the bad guy first because it's that important to him. Mm. He can't just be like, hey, we got the bad guy together or good job getting the bad guy, honey. I'll see you at the altar, you know? Like, he has to be like, hey, I I got him for, you know? I'm not saying, you know, the the whole point of the, the first act is that he tells this kid to go home, which he should have done. Mm. I think everyone has agreed that you're kind of, you know, okay. What do you think? I get the idea of like Batman and Robin, but I think if we didn't already have the tradition 
of Batman and Robin and the like older hero and the teen sidekick or whatever and it wasn't decades long I do I do not think anybody would create that today and I think if anybody just created that today like I, I think if the idea of Batman and Robin as a duo just suddenly appeared today I think people would call that creator a wackadoo. You know what I'm saying? But like people also- would have serious questions about that person. Like, why is Bruce Wayne constantly putting Dick Grayson in danger? Yeah. This is supposed to be the ma- like, like yeah, it's not his adopted father, but it kind of is. Like that is his ward. That 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 child is in your legal protective custody. Why are you taking him out and putting him in constant mortal danger, you know? But also, Buddy doesn't really take the superhero thing seriously. He treats it like it's a game. Like, he's not really paying attention to what Bomb Voyage is doing. And in doing so, gets that bomb attached to his cape. Yeah, he just wants to impress his hero. He's just a fanboy who wants to impress the guy he's fanboying over. You know, and I know they say it's 15 years later when we see him again as Syndrome. So he's what, maybe like 10 or 12 at this point? Mm-hmm. You know, but the point is like, yeah, you really need to go like, hey, kid, where are your parents? Like, you need to go home. You are not, this is not a safe environment for you. And honestly, it's kind of weird. That the that his own kids are, you know, doing it later. But honestly, they kind of get roped into it, and they have superpowers and bulletproof suits and stuff. So, it, I mean, that, that's another slightly thing. better. But you I know. mean, Buddy doesn't have a bulletproof suit. It's just but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's still weird at the end of the movie when they're like, "Okay, we're just gonna take our kids out on missions with us," but at least like one of them also has the ability to like put up a psychic shield and uh, like they're super powered and also they are wearing armored suits so at least it's slightly better but you still question it i mean it's it's still a movie you know but um but yeah so you you see what mr incredible's doing it's not just like hey kid go away you bother me but there's legitimate concern for the kid's safety and instead of going like oh yeah i almost died because a guy put a bomb on my cape no capes um i disagree with edna mode on that but you know the movie is very anti-cape uh but instead of going like oh yeah I almost died and he saved my life. Maybe I should rethink this. The kid just grows up with like he never, he never saw my my real worth. I'll show him he never by saw murdering my him. Yeah my, yeah, my true potential. I could have been an awesome superhero. Like, because from Buddy's perspective, he tried to help. Mr. Incredible ruined his moment. 
and he's going to dedicate his the rest of his life to ending Mr. Incredible, which is not... From his perspective, he's in the right, but from a storytelling perspective, he's not, because he just put himself in danger to impress someone who really he did not need to impress. He even says, you've been stalking me. I need you to stop it. Yeah, the the weird thing is, is that we we know that Syndrome has no superpowers. But that doesn't mean that super villains don't exist in this world as far as like actual powered supervillains. We see, I mean, technically we do see one. We see Bon Voyage, whose whole thing is he's a French mime that talks and throws bombs. But we don't know if he has super powers. We just know he uses explosives. The thing about Watchmen when they, you know, when when they did this whole, like, no superheroes act is that there were no super villains. It was just a bunch of people going out and just fighting normal street crime. Superheroes in Vietnam. <laughs> Well, you know, or they worked for the military and they just were in the army. Yeah. You know, but they weren't like fighting, you know, aliens coming down or, you know, people with psychic powers or, you know, guys whose skin could turn into metal or something, you know? Mm. That, like, there wasn't, like, an evil Hulk or whatever in that mm. world. It was just like, hey, don't put on a mask and go beat up a burglar. In this world, there is a very real possibility that it's like, oh, there's a guy who can create fire with his hands and he's decided to be evil. So who takes care of that guy? Is that just normal police stuff now? Is there like a special tactical force? Because before that seems to be what the superheroes were doing. They were a government task force. Mm -hmm. Because the government guy says to Mr. Incredible, like, thank you for doing all that work for us. And the government was the one that was paying out the fees for their lawsuits and everything so it does seem like the superheroes were working directly for the government syndrome is is just like a a war profiteer really i mean he seems to be like just the evil version of iron man pretty much i mean that's how he says that's how he became rich he's used this technology to create weapons and sold them to other countries yeah, so I mean, he's just a war profiteer, and now he's gone into, you know, villainy. Now that he's rich enough to build his island lair and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he he really is just a James Bond villain, uh, with a a bit more flair, but a bit, and a little bit of self awareness. Cause he says, "Oh, you caught me monologuing." 
Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines in the movie. But the the idea is like, so have they gone this entire 15 years with not a single superpowered person deciding to break bad? It's possible that, I mean, we don't know. Again, the movie never tells us. <laughs> Which movie- is another thing. I love the idea that Brad Bird creates Edna Mode of all people because he thought the idea of where superheroes get their costumes was a thing that was never explored enough in superhero stories. But he doesn't bother to think, okay, we've got all these superpowered people running around and none of them is the super villain. Because, yeah. like, just banning superheroes is not going to stop a guy who's a super villain. And even if you did super ban all super people, they're villains. Why would they, they? They already don't follow the law. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like I said, the only reason it works in Watchmen is because there's only one superpowered person in the story and he agrees to follow the law. It, it's, it's, in this one, it's just, there's random things, you know, just random people, you know, around. People understand that superpowered beings exist in this world. Which is why I find the idea that they have to hide their powers kind of weird. Because wouldn't people just be born with powers all the time? Like, I get that they would be rare. But there had to be some people who were born with powers that didn't go into superheroing. And now that superheroing is not allowed, couldn't you just be like the world's fastest barista or something? Possible. Like that's not. But again, if if illegal, if we know that the government kind of has to has to monitor that. I mean, we see Dash using his powers to pull pranks at school and. The, the, but he's not mom- supposed to. Yeah. I'm just that, saying, like, so that, long as you're not, like, stopping crime and causing collateral damage, what it, would be the problem with... But also, you can't draw attention to yourself. Like what, like what we see with, with Mr. Incredible throwing his boss through, like, five walls. Well, that's because he was damaging his boss. Like, that was an act of violence. But, you know, it's it's still... Like, and a liability, you know? That's another liability that the government has to pay off. But as long as he you're not... injured a human. But if you're a speedster and you're becoming the world's fastest barista, people are gonna... How can he do it that fast? He made my drink before I even finished ordering it. That's gonna draw attention. But it's not something you get sued for. Mm. That's what the government's worried about. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of questions that this movie brings up and has no intention of answering. Yeah, and that's the thing that bugs me. Like, its own internal logic just doesn't 
pan out for me. Mm. Not that it's a bad movie and not that you have to answer every question, but it's just there's some things where it's like at least set up why they have to constantly stay in hiding. Like, but the public wasn't happy about the thing, so superheroes had to, you know. I mean, it's possible that a super may have gone into the military or some other form of uh, protection, maybe a police officer, maybe a firefighter, and they're using their powers in that scenario, but it's not drawing attention to anything. I don't know. Again, the movie never tells us. Yeah. See, writers, these are the things I think about. This is how you torture me. (laughs) But... It's been like 20 years since this movie came out, and I'm still thinking about these things. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, I mean, the one one thing that they do that's intentional that I do like is the flip-flop from the documentary footage we see at the beginning of the movie to the main story, where... Where Mr. Incredible, he just wants the world to stay safe so he can have a normal life. While while Elastigirl just wants to be a superhero forever. You know, leave the superheroing to the men, I don't think so. But when they both settle down and become regular people, all Mr. Incredible can do is think about the glory days and try to relive them as as, as he can. While... Elastigirl is content being mom and housewife. I mean, I think I think that the the main thing is I'm not sure it's so much the content being mom and housewife so much as she is upset that they keep having to move. Over and over. Because of his shenanigans. Because of because of him losing his temper and not being able to, you know, play by the rules. He even she even says, You're listening to the police radio again. You told me you would stop. So he's still fighting crimes as secretly as he can, but he keeps getting busted. I think without the kids and the disruption to their life she would probably be out there with him because she loved that life too. But when she sees how it's impacting the kids, she's willing to give it up. I mean, she even, you know, he he even says, you know, you're pretending like, like the old days didn't happen. And she says, no, they happened, but they're the past. This is our life now. We have to think about, you know, our life and at, at, you know, you said it, our our kids. We can't put our own selfishness ahead of, the, ahead of that. Yeah, and that's the thing that you see in their wedding vows. Like, she, she wants to fight crime. She'll go out and she'll put on the super suit before the wedding and she'll take out a villain, you know? We see that in the sequel. Yeah. But the thing is, is that when it comes to the wedding, you know, she's there saying her kind of private vows to him of like, hey, we're a team. 
from now till death do us part, you and and me, a team up, you know? And he is still distracted as she's saying that. You can see him, like, looking around the room and thinking about other things. And then when the, the minister stops speaking, he he looks at her and says, I do. Like, he's still not kind of fully present there. And I think that that's still the the thing is like eventually he has to to learn to be that team. And we don't see him there for you know the kids and we don't see him there for parent conferences and you know uh, he's always in the little the little room He's, with all of his old trophies and yeah it's 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 you know the the take away the superhero and put anything else athlete scholar whatever that all he does is go into his private room and reminisce about the glory days and he's just he's not present for his family you know mm-hmm. he's either um, at work or he's out trying to Beats covert superhero. Oh yeah, robbery. And, oh yeah, fire. And even Frozone is like, well, what if we just went bowling? You know? What if we do what we told our wives that we we're actually doing? Yeah. Let's actually have a guys' night. And the the thing is, is that it's really sad that it. It takes him, you know, almost dying to to get there. The 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 wake up when he realizes that his family is possibly dead because of him. Yeah, they're flying on that jet to get him because he couldn't be honest with his family. And the fact that. It's because she activated the tracker on his suit that he even got caught in the first place. Because she thinks his husband is cheating on her. Well, yeah, and... Well, I think by that point she realizes that he's not cheating because why would he put on the super suit? You don't know. But people got, people, <laughs> I mean, people maybe, got weird. But... I mean, she just knocks out Mirage without even a without even a word because she believes that her husband is cheating on her with with this woman. I mean, yeah, maybe it it, it is a little bit implicit, but the um the I you know the the thing about well, I do also want to know why Edna would make that thing beep audibly. That eh. seems ridiculous. Like, why would you need that function? But, um, th- but the the thing is, is that if if he'd have been more upfront with her, then that that wouldn't have happened either. Mm-hmm. And maybe she wouldn't have had to, you know, get a jet and go after him. But the thing that's always kind of bothered me is that. He sort of gets everything he wants at the end of the movie. Like, yes, he learns to be part of a team and learns to be a bit more giving. 
But only after he gets the life he wants back. So, yeah, he gets to be a superhero again. He gets the adulation of a crowd. Yeah, and... Everybody else, it's like, well, what did they learn? Like, Violet learns to be slightly more assertive around boys. I mean, okay, she, that's, she, she gets that's the confidence. Right. I mean, I mean, she gets the confidence boost. For most of the movie, she has her hair over her face because she's shy. That plays into her powers of being invisible. Like, there's always the one person at school that feels like they're invisible. It's just that's her power, and she has her hair covering her face because she's super shy. And then she gets the confidence boost and she pulls her hair back. And then she's able to talk to boys because she has some confidence. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's tropey and I'm I'm not I'm not super down with it. Mm. And Dash learns that he can participate in sports as long as he's always second i mean yeah dash dash gets what he wants he gets to be a part he gets to participate in sports uh like you said mr incredible gets what he wants he gets that moment of in the spotlight again what does the gloucester girl get though does she get her family this but you know i don't know I mean, her family fights a little less with each other and more with other people who are trying to kill them. I, I don't know. I think it's because, you know, it's, it's, you know, she wants them to hide who they are in a way. But I guess except, well, these are, these are who, you know, this is who you are. Be yourself. I, I big question mark. I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit odd. The the thing the thing I I realized watching this film again was how much padding there is in it. It's a two hour movie. Maybe a half an hour could have gotten cut. Yeah, it just it takes kind of a really long time to get where it's going, especially in that first act, kind of there between the. That setup and the introduction of syndrome. Mm, yeah, they could have sped that up a bit. There's a lot about, you know, I don't like my insurance job and I don't like, you know. Like I mean, from from the time the documentary footage ends and the time he meets Mirage, that's like an hour, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's really padded in there, and and you could have you could have trimmed some of that. And when the action really, you know, really spices up, it's intentionally put again. It's it's done intentionally, but they kind of stop it to to for for that moment. Oh, you married Elastigirl and got busy. I would have liked to see more, and we do see more, because that, that's what the climax is for. But, you know, yeah. The thing is, is that Syndrome was kind of a fun character, and I would have 
liked to have known more about him. I mean, Jason Lee is very fun in the role. And it would have been more interesting, I think, to see that dynamic. You destroyed my dreams. Like, you were a child, you know? It's like, so you, I mean, what kind maybe of weirdo it, would I have been if I, you know? Like, if we had seen some of Syndrome's life after he got arrested, after he was put in that paddy wagon. After he's put in the cop car and up until the point where he reveals himself as Syndrome. No, he, I just think the the interaction between him and Mr. Incredible. You want more of that? Well, yeah, I mean, it just... It, the Syndrome was like, you know... You turned me down and you told me that I couldn't be a superhero, so I decided... To make everybody super, so nobody will be super, because you got powers and I didn't. That's a nice little lesson there too, because that gets said a couple of times in the movie. Where, well, we we first hear it with Dash and Elastigirl in 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 the car after he gets out of the principal's office, and we hear it again when from Syndrome. If everybody's special, then no one is special, which is actually pretty interesting because but also like what do they mean by that like is that a good thing is that a bad thing i think it, it comes from um it's more of a commentary because now at especially at the time that this movie was released we're getting you know everyone is special books and i hate saying it but i've got to the participation trophies and everyone gets everyone gets an award and everyone gets this because everyone is special well if everyone is special and everyone gets an award and everyone gets a trophy then no one is special no one deserves a trophy no one is excellent because everyone is still the same My apologies for my dog. I don't know what set him off, but uh, it's getting home time for a lot of people. But um, the the thing is, is I, I kind of want to counter the, the participation trophy thing. Because, you know, our generation gets a lot of crap for being like the generation that demanded participation trophies. And, you know, I got a lot of participation trophies for stuff when I was a kid. Because we are the generation that started getting participation trophies for stuff. Um, they were already a thing when we were kids. I, I don't know how, how much stuff you participated in as a kid. But I got a lot of just, like, participant ribbons, you know? Um, and honestly... I I mean I kept them for a while because I'm I'm just kind of a person that keeps things for like memory value like oh yeah I was there at that thing um so I keep them the same way I sometimes you know I'll keep like a convention badge or something like oh yes I attended that thing 
Um, so I did that sometimes when I was a kid. Like, oh, yes, I attended that thing. I was there. Um, but eventually, I don't, I don't know a single person then or now who has ever thought a participation trophy meant anything. Anything. You know who demanded participation trophies? The parents. I never know a single kid who demanded a participation trophy because the kids knew they were crap. No kid I knew was ever happy to get a participation trophy. We made fun of them. I participated in so much stuff as a kid, and most of the time, all I got out of it was, if anything, some little ribbon or something just saying, like, congratulations, you were there. You participated. Here's a ribbon. You know? And everybody knew, even if you were six years old, that that meant nothing. We didn't want them. It was like, here, kid, go home and throw this away. Which is what pretty much everybody did. Sometimes you'd keep it as like a memory and you'd like stick it up next to a Polaroid of you and your friends there or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was it. You know who demanded that stuff? Like what we would call today the Karens. Like helicopter moms that were like, my kid is special. Why doesn't my kid get a trophy? But like, that's that's kind of where I'm getting at there. Because yeah. everyone thinks their kid is special. Everyone thinks their kid is unique. Well, if every kid is special and every kid is unique, then none of them are. Yeah, Which and the thing is, what... the person in the movie who gets it right is kind of dash, I guess, you know. But the person who gets it wrong is Syndrome, who's always like, you know, I was special and I was, you know, whatever, and you didn't see it in me. But the thing is, is like, kid, you showed up in the middle of him doing something and was like, pay attention to me. And the thing is, is that Mr. Incredible had already told him earlier when the kid jumped in the car, like, look, I have been infinitely nice to you. You have shown up at every fan event, at every whatever. I have signed everything you've ever wanted. I have, you know, taken every picture with you that you have ever, you know, everything you have ever wanted, I have done. But this is my personal life and you have crossed a boundary. And I get that the kid is like 12 at this time. But, you know, kids at 12 are capable of understanding boundaries. I mean, we see that now with, you know, not only with fans invading celebrities' privacy, but... Certain news outlets, you know, the the TMZs of the world going into the private lives of celebrities to stick a camera in their face and ask them questions. Yeah, and it's it's horrible. And we've talked about it before in other episodes and stuff, you know. But also, this was a dangerous situation. So, don't, you know, don't do that. And I would have liked to have seen... Like, just a part where Mr. Incredible was like, you almost got killed. 
maybe you didn't understand that at 12, but certainly at like 20, whatever you are now, you still don't see what actually happened there. You were a child running into an active bomb situation and you almost died. That wasn't me saying, like, you can never be a superhero. That was me saying you're a 12-year-old. Go home. Train. Come back to me when you're 20. Maybe we can be partners then. But the other thing about the, the specialness and the mediocrity and whatever is that it would... It would hit better for me in this movie if any of these people on the side of quote-unquote good had actually worked for their powers. Yeah, we get a training montage where Mr. Incredible loses some weight. Big deal. That's not why he's special. And, the, and Every single one of the Incredibles was born that way. Frozone was apparently born that way. That is one of the big critiques a lot of people have of the X-Men is that they were born special. They were born with these powers. But the thing about the X-Men, too, is that almost every one of the X-Men has some kind of downside to their power. You know, I mean, Rogue is kind of the big one that everybody points to, but, you know... Storm, yeah, she controls the weather, but also she has to keep her emotions so tightly controlled so that she doesn't cause a tornado. Cyclops you is know? another one, you know. He he unless he's wearing those special goggles and glasses, he will he cannot control his his, his eye beams. Yeah, I mean he basically has to sleep in those things or else he'll just concussive blast everyone through a wall, you know. I mean, we've seen what happens, you know, there's there's a point in one of the movies that, that shows it, and honestly, I love that scene where, you know, you accidentally surprise Wolverine and you might get a claw through the ribcage, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, every single one of them, yeah, okay, they've got special powers, but it, it always comes with a downside. You know, to the point, and some of them, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of the Morlocks. Like, some of them, you just, like, yeah, you get a mutation. It just sucks. There's not an upside, you know? It's just, you get a mutation, and there there is no way to live with it that it is useful or happy in any way. Um, And so... Yeah, somebody gets the the good flip of the coin and somebody gets the bad flip of the coin. That's what mutation is. Mm-hmm. But in this world, you know, you're super, you're special, and we should look up to you, and you're expected to do good and whatever. Yeah, that's fine. And some people do bad and, and you know, boo on them. But, you know, you're given a pedestal because you're born special. And it looks like maybe Syndrome 
might have been born really smart or something. I don't know. Maybe he worked at it, but, you know, 12-year-old building rocket boots seems, you know, pretty special to me. Yeah. Um, And I'm sorry that nobody in his life made him feel worthy for that. Even the person that he wanted the, the admiration from the most. He wanted that admiration from Mr. Incredible. It just was the wrong place in the wrong time. I think if he'd have shown up in a different way, in a more appropriate venue, and been like, look, Mr. Incredible, I want to be a superhero one day. I built rocket boots. I do think that Mr. Incredible would have been like, that's amazing, kid. You built those all by yourself? Look at you. You're going to be an amazing superhero one day. You're a bit young now, but... Yeah, it's too dangerous now. Don't go doing it now. But work on those rocket boots, perfect them, ten years from now, wow. Here's a card for someone I know to get you a super suit. (laughs) Yeah. Tell them I sent you. (laughs) Yeah. But in ten years. Yeah. Um, And the thing is, is like, I know that people keep going like, every parent thinks their kid is special. But, you know, I really do think that everybody has something to contribute in some way and i don't mean like in a capitalistic way but i do mean like everyone has something to contribute to just the world everyone is on the world to just exist and that is good enough and everyone is unique in a way that is good enough. And it sucks that our entire society is like, no, you have to be the most extraordinary ever in some way that builds wealth or something or notoriety. For you to be worthy of your oxygen, you know? And I just wish that we could get past everybody feeling like they need a a trophy or a certificate or something just to prove that they were worthy of having been born. I don't know. It's it's that's I think that's why that little bit kind of irks me. Mm. Is that when people go like, well, everybody's got to be the best at something. And that's true. You know, no matter how good you are at something, there's probably somebody on the planet who's better at it than you and whatever. And even if you're the world's best whatever today, five days from now, you're probably going to be the second best. It's sort of ridiculous to chase that dragon. But if you're here and you're breathing and you're just taking up space on the earth, 
then by default, I think that you're good enough and special enough to deserve that. And other people should make you feel like you're good enough and special enough to deserve that. That you don't have to win some award or prove something. You can just be like, hi, I'm a human, I exist. And everybody goes, you know what? That's pretty special. Congratulations. You're a human. You exist. Good enough. All right. Uh, I think we can need to uh, turn a big 180 here because <laughs> we need to talk about what this movie um, introduced. Yeah, we're not going to get out of talking about The Incredibles without talking about the invention of the Pixar mom meme. <laughs> that is possibly the biggest 180 we've ever had on our show. Yeah, so everyone knows the scene. Elastigirl gets into Syndrome's fortress, looks into a mirror, and it's kind of has that what happened to my body since I had kids face. Which I've known women after seeing this movie who complain like she shouldn't be uh, sad about it because I've known women who have said that they would kill for a body like that. And I have known other men that says, yeah, I would definitely, you know, that's that I that they they, they like the the. They're a butt person, I'll just say that. And Pixar moms got back is what you're saying. Yes, yes. I'm trying to say it in a nice way that'll keep this PG. I, I, um, I think that that is a nice enough way that, that will keep us PG. And for a lot of people, that scene was their awakening. And for a lot of, and again, it started a meme where Pixar moms got back. Now, really. Let's be real. This is really the only one that fits the criteria because she has a big bottom and she is a mom. Most of the other ones they put in the meme, most of the other uh, Disney females they have in the meme are either one, not Pixar characters, or two, not mothers. Or three, photoshopped to look a lot more sexy than they did in the movie. Like, the the aunt from Big Hero 6 is usually put in the role of the Pixar mom, but she is not a Pixar character. She's a Disney character. And I say Disney character because I don't think she existed in the Marvel comic. But does she have a, a backside? Yes. But, yeah, let's, you know, like, it's, I, I just, there's just no way we're getting out of this episode without at least mentioning it at once. So there you go, how Mrs. How uh, how Elastigirl kind of created this Pixar mom meme, and I think the people at Pixar kind of overdid it because by the time we get into the sequel, it seemed that they took every opportunity to give us a butt shot of Elastigirl. I don't know. I mean, sometimes. Sometimes you gotta wonder what animators got going on in the brain meets, but 
a lot of lonely nights sitting in front of a computer just animating under a Disney deadline. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. I I mean, I personally never noticed it, but once somebody points it out to you, you're like, all right, you know, maybe. The um the point being that if that's what does it for you, I guess go have your fun. <laughs> I'm not gonna yuck anybody's yum. So after that, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the character of Edna Mode herself, the former fashion queen that decided that being a fashion icon wasn't enough, that she had to, as she says in the movie, design for the gods and create costumes for superheroes. Yeah, I I gotta say, she is the breakout star of the movie. And voiced by Brad Bird himself. Yeah, which he did not want to do. Apparently, he really wanted Lily Tomlin to do it. Oh, she would have killed at it. Well, apparently Lily Tomlin was the one who told him to do it. Oh. Because he had apparently laid down some scratch tracks to show kind of how he wanted it done. You know, mm-hmm. what he had in mind for her. And Lily Tomlin heard that and was like, yeah, no, I think you've nailed it. Go ahead and do it. And the interesting thing is, is that he nailed it so hard that he won an Annie Award for it. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> OK, then. Um but there have been there has been a lot of speculation about who she was specifically kind of supposed to be i think the big one is everybody immediately sees her look and thinks the look was designed on edith head mm-hmm. who was the kind of most influential fashion designer in hollywood um and costume designer in Hollywood um in the like 40s 50s 60s that era um and I think she still holds the record for being the woman who has won the most academy awards in history mm-hmm. I haven't heard that that record has been broken um but yeah, because she had those same kind of big round glasses and she had a similar kind of black, you know, bob with the severe bangs and everything. So kind of the look is sort of based on her, but um, people people kind of wonder if some of her personality isn't supposed to be um, Anna Winter. Um, who was the the editor in chief for Vogue? Or there's there's been certain other names that have been um, thrown around um, as well uh, in the fashion world. 
that maybe she was based off of. Um, but I have I have been told because I'm such a big kind of costuming person, and I have very specific opinions on costuming. Um, that when I'm when I'm watching like a a period drama or something, and they don't get it right in in my opinion uh that watching certain things with me can be like watching something with a very angry edith head but i personally think of myself as being very angry edna mode I, I like her vibe, except my opinion on capes is everyone should wear a cape all the time or or a cloak, really. I'm I'm a big fan of cloaks. Um, but it. Uh, she, to me, is just is such an inspiration and such a wonder. And the thing I have to say is I love how she is so against capes. <laughs> But in her house, like, one of the first things you see when Mr. Incredible walks in is she has this huge statue of a heroic figure that's also, like, a water fountain. Mm-hmm. And the water forms a cape for this heroic figure. <laughs> so I love that that is... Like, her big, you know, like, I I will not put a cape on you, but her water feature is a guy with a cape made of water. Eh. Maybe because it's not an actual cape, it's a a water cape, it's fine, I don't know. Yeah, I just love that that's her aesthetic, you know, like, no capes, but but giant water cape. She has a reason. She's gone. She goes through every superhero that dies due due to a cape-related incident. Incident. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I I totally get why she's against it in the context of the movie, but you know, mm-hmm. I just don't know why she doesn't put in snap away capes because, like, those are very easy to do. Edna, but, yeah. yeah. She's also a fashionista, so it's gotta fit her vibe, and I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, capes are striking and very easy to make tear away. <laughs> So, um, when this was finally released on home media, they released a special short with it called Jack Jack Attacks because we need to find out what exactly our babysitter Kari was doing with little Jack Jack during the events of the movie. Because we get that scene where where Elastigirl is going through the phone messages and Kari is getting more and more frantic as as something is going on at the house. And then, oh, thank you for sending another sitter. Bye. And to see the actual events that happen as this is going on. And we get the the awakening of Jack-Jack's powers through the power of Mozart, of all things. Yeah. Well, you know, babies love Mozart. They can just sleep through it. Yeah. Mozart makes kids smart. And I do like she puts on the CD, she plays it, and then like Jack Jack's eyes just snap, like like the the music of Mozart awakens something in his brain. 
and then he gets all of the powers. And you know, like like there's that that theory between of the kids and their names reflecting their powers. Dash obviously is a speedster. Violet has the purple, uh, the purple rings uh, for her for her power. And Jack Jack is literally a jack of all trades, having multiple superpowers. Yeah. I just want to say I love how Edna's costume thing predicted Jack Jack's powers because she just I I love that costume reveal and I love the memes that have come from it you know with just Elastigirl's horrified face and Edna's like big smile the big smile (laughs) Um, in front of the fire I mean they they drop that and it's just Edna looking at fire and smiling well, yeah, there's, there's, I don't know if you've seen the memes, but there's always the meme where it's just Elastigirl with her most horrified face, and you can see the fire reflected in Edna's glasses, and she's got that huge cackling grin, <laughs> and all, and there's, there's memes like, you know, me showing my, my friends, like, my favorite fix on uh, Archive of Our Own or something like that, <laughs> like. It's just whatever, you know. Um, but the um, the thing is, though, is that the fact that the baby's costume comes out first, and we've already been told the baby doesn't have superpowers, and then it's just, like, going through fire and, you know, ice and bulletproof and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And she's like, what do you think the baby will be doing? And she's like, well, I didn't know the child's powers, so I just planned for everything. But and it turns out he has all the powers. <laughs> including fire and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And, like, growing and changing forms and teleporting and, you know. Yeah. So I like that Edna's like, I didn't know, so I planned for everything. Turned out to be a really kind of prescient thing to have done because planning for everything really did encompass his eventual all-encompassing powers <laughs> and it kind of feel for Kyrie because at the, at the middle point of that little short she's like so exhausted because she's been up all night with this demon baby that by the end, she's just, like, spraying him with a fire extinguisher, deflecting the eye lasers with a mirror. It's like, can this day even end, please? And I love how happy Jack-Jack is, just, like, bursting into flames and laughing at the same time. <laughs> she douses him with the fire extinguisher, and he's laughing more. <laughs> Babies are chaos. They're little balls of chaos. Yeah, and I just I just love that she's like, I am super prepared. It's like, I was not prepared at all. <laughs> and I love her screaming at the at at the the agent at the end of it. It's like, mm-hmm. have you ever had to take care of a baby that's on fire? Like <laughs> And I I, I do I, you know, she's at the end of that show. She says, I wish I could forget the whole thing and said, Don't worry, kid, you will. Yeah. And it's wipe her memory of the whole thing. And uh, this does come back in the sequel. Unfortunately, they do this to Violet's boyfriend. So she forgets that those two were ever together. The same boy that she's been crushing on. So she has to 
Oh, yeah. It, 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 it is the one thing I hate about sequels is the sequel reset of everything. Yeah. So Violet has to get the guy to like her all over again. It is sad, but, you know, we can deal with that another day. When we talk about Incredibles 2, we'll get to that, whenever that yeah. is going to be. Let's let's uh, let's ask the question, Kiki. Does the Incredibles have the magic? For all its flaws, it's still a cute movie, mm-hmm. and I still enjoy it. I just wish it had. It, I just wish it was a little tighter in mm-hmm. its storytelling, and I wish it had thought about some of the questions it raised a little more. Because there's so much here, and I. I like the characters, I like the cast, I like the, you know, I like the world building. I just wish there was a little more depth to it. Mm. So, I mean, I would say yes, but it's kind of a mediocre yes, which I know will annoy the crap out of Mr. Incredible, so meh. I'm going to agree with you. I still think this is a really great movie. Again, I hadn't seen this movie since Incredibles 2 came out. And coming back to this movie, it, it's still good. It still holds up for me. I don't necessarily have the, the had the same questions that you did. But, you know, it's still good. It still holds up. Uh, 20 years later, you know. Maybe some of the animation's a bit dated. And it, Pixar has definitely gotten better with the way their human characters look, the way their hair physics will look and their water physics and all that. But uh, it's still a good movie. And it, uh, it's been said then, and it's, and I still agree with it, it is still the best Fantastic Four movie ever made. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is a good Fantastic Four movie. Because it doesn't forget that at the end of the day, yes, these are superheroes, but these are still... The, but they're still a family. And that's one thing that when you're making a Fantastic Four anything is that you have to remember that at the end of the day, they're a family first and superhero second. Yeah. Speaking of, next week, Fantastic Four. The 2005 movie. (laughs) Is that the good one or the... I mean, the good. Is that the less painful one or the more painful one you're going to make me sit through? It's the one that has Captain America in it. Okay, so the less painful Fantastic Four. All right. We're not watching Fantastic Four. The Roger Corman version is being disavowed by Marvel. Well, I would watch the... I I would watch the Roger Corman version. It's just... You know, not not technically owned by Disney, I don't think. <laughs> it's not owned by anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of in the in the ether. So, uh, all right, Captain America version of Fantastic Four. We we will have to negotiate about Fantastic. If someone wants to donate a lot of money to our non-existent Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could talk us into doing Fantastic. So yeah, come back next week for the Fantastic Four movie, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic, Twitter at Rewatch the Magic, and of course. 
new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues.